Good morning again. If you will turn in your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 22, it's the fourth book of the Bible. Um, and we are working through seeing the gospel in the Old Testament. And it's, it's helpful as you read through Numbers, we've been seeing over and over again, one, it's highlighting God's faithfulness, uh, his, his relentless commitment to bless his people, and, and then it highlights the character of those people, and their character is um, not good. <laughs> uh, that God is committed to bless and be faithful to a faithless people. And Numbers, it does not shy away from the battle that every human being faces when you make that commitment to follow the Lord's calling to actually believe in the presence of trouble. So Numbers 22 is part of that story. Uh, we get to hear God blessing Israel and they don't even know about it until they're told later. And so let's read of God's unshakable commitment to bless his people to this strange, wonderful story. Uh, this, is God's wonder this is God's word, Numbers 22. I'm going to read the whole chapter because you just need all the details. It says, then, then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these, and they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God 
to do less or more. So you, too, please stay here tonight and I, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right nor to the left. And when, the angel saw the do- when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, She said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you. And let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. And when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you to call, send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. And this is God's word. Uh, He has spoken to us today in love uh, through this great story. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray you would use this um, tale of of a talking talking donkey uh, to confront us, to confront us with your grace, to confront us with your commitment to bless us uh, and your willingness to correct us even when we can't see And so I pray your spirit would work in our hearts this morning that we might hear, repent, and believe the gospel as we see Jesus, uh, perhaps in a different light this morning, and and in turn send us out as a blessed people um, 
willing to speak of his name and tell, tell others what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, this passage brings up so many great questions, <laughs> uh, starting with the talking donkey, of course. And uh, you know, as one of the, the critics of the Old Testament would come alongside and say, you Christians actually trust a book that has a talki- talking mule. And to which we would say, uh, yeah, because the hero of the story died and rose from the dead, and if he could conquer death, then a talking donkey is no uh, small tale. There's no small ask. But then we got other questions, right? God says, sure, bail him, go. And then he's all of a sudden standing in the road with a sword ready to kill him. And then you, you see Balaam and you wonder, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he a sinner? Is he a saint? Um, and then even more so, right, here in Saratoga County, what does the story of a talking donkey have to do with me and my faith? And so with those questions ringing in your ears, this, this, the story's gripping enough, let's just dive in and, and meditate on this together. We're going to touch chapters 23 and 24 as we hear uh, Balaam's oracles to, uh, to, to Balak. So just have your Bibles open. We'll, we'll get there. But um, let's, let's start with point one, that the, the danger we all face in a fallen world, uh, there's, there's danger out there. And, and that's, that's part of the story of Numbers, right? The, the Hebrew name for Numbers is just in the wilderness, uh, in the desert. And that's where Israel is on this journey through the desert to the promised land. Uh, they have left Mount Sinai with God's blessing ringing in their ears. That was Numbers uh, 6, that may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you, right? Protect, guard, that kind of word. May, may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Right? And it's really important as we jump into this story to remember this was God's idea. He said, here's how you should bless my people. It's, it's, it's a promise. It's a gift. It's freely given. It hasn't been bribed or manipulated. This is God's desire to bless Israel. Right? And the generation that left Egypt because of their repeated failures to believe, they're now banished in the wilderness for 40 years. And so here we are in the midst of that wandering, uh, some as the first generation is dying off and the second generation who will get the, the promise. Um, the question is, despite all the drama in the desert, will God keep his promise? Will he continue to bless him? Right? Is God still committed to these faithless people, Israel? Because if you read the, the, the story, I'm trying to connect the dots here, the second generation are just like their parents. They, they commit some of the same sins. They, they grumble. They complain. We're thirsty. Moses gets so ticked off, he hits the rock twice, which gets him banned from the promised land. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of similarities here. And so in, in that context, we have this great story about the Lord's commitment to Israel to keep them safe when they can't hear it or see it, right? They're, they're passive recipients of, of this God taking care of them. God is going to protect Israel from their malicious neighbors all without their knowledge, uh, and eventually it'll come to them, of course, but that's why we have it written down. But it's not not a phenomenal portrait of God's care, right? 
Jesus teaches us to pray, uh, Lord, deliver us from evil. And, and this shows us that God does deliver us from evil, and often in ways that we never see. We're just never aware of, of the, the many dangers that we've been protected from. Right? Which, is, which helps me, right, when I'm going through hard things and I'm complaining about the hard things that God is leading us through. What about all the harder things that he's protected me, spared me from? It's a great prayer. Lord, deliver me from the evil I'm not aware of. So, God is protecting them. What's the, the situation here? Well, if you look in the beginning of the chapter here of 22, uh, Moab, the descendants of Lot, uh, see God's blessing of Israel, right? How, how many people there are as a threat. There's, there's loads of people, which means their army is huge, and they just uh, wipe the floor with the Amorites with no... And, and Moab is smaller, so Moab is just terrified. Right? If, it would be like if Canada had a massive army and they all camped on the border. Right? I mean, that's a hypothetical situation because it's Canada. <laughs> but, but if they're there and they're close, you get anxious. And so Moab, Abalek, the king of Moab here, sees what's happening and he's terrified. And he makes a Pharaoh-like move. He doesn't see God blessing them as an opportunity for them to be blessed. He sees it as an opportunity. No, they're, they're terrifying. We need to oppress them. And so he reaches out to Balaam, a well-known prophet, uh, who has the ability, or at least the reputation of the ability, to, to bless and to curse. Right? He doesn't have the manpower. He knows his army isn't strong enough, so he chooses this strange, ancient form of warfare. Let's curse. Let's get their God to fight against them. Let's see if we can manipulate, if we can bribe, if we can get the right price, uh, grease the right hands, right? And maybe Yahweh will turn against Israel. And so Balaam is that guy. And, and so this, is, this sets up the whole tension for the story because you hear that language, I know whom you bless is blessed, and I know who you curse is cursed. That's the language that God uses in Genesis 12 to describe Abraham and the nation of Israel. Right? When God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And so that's what we're learning here is the question, will Balak and will Balaam be able to curse the ones whom God has sworn to defend and to be gracious to? Right? So, it's an Old Testament example, right? But this is, this is reality in a fallen world that you can be faithful to God, doing what he's told you to do, and still have people who are threatened by your presence. Threatened by God's presence with you. It's probably a more accurate representation. And it's helpful to see here, right? Israel isn't attacking Moab. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, God says, no, leave them alone. They're, they're, they're Lot's descendants. They have this land that's not yours. Um, and so this is Israel being maliciously attacked, unfairly. Pre preemptive war, a preemptive strike, if you will. And so if you want to 
get an idea of what it's like to be human in the language of the text, we live in a world where human beings want to curse one another. We're afraid. Uh, you will run into people who actively want to see you fail because of your faith, because of your allegiance to Jesus. Right? We live in a world where human beings curse one another. I mean, just take a joy ride on the north way. Right? And so the, the context then calls us to ask, how does God's blessing hold up when somebody's saying God cursed them? Right? And that leads us to this fa- uh, great figure of Balaam. Right? The danger we all face is just, just the curse. And then now we get to see the warning of Balaam here. How does God's blessing hold up in the presence of cursing? And when you read this, it sounds like, oh, they're just crying out to some kind of witch doctor, uh, a, a pagan prophet. He's, you know, Israel can't really be threatened by this. But then when you're reading the story, all of a sudden you find Balaam using God's actual name, his covenant name, the Lord, Yahweh. Whenever it says Lord in all capital letters, it's using his covenant name, Yahweh, his personal name. And he says, this is Yahweh, my God. Right? And so on the one hand, you have this figure, right? He's, he's really shady. He's, he's willing for money to say whatever it is people want him to say. He's like a modern-day politician, right? A deceitful politician. And you just read how he, how he talks. He's, he's saying as little as possible to keep both sides happy. Um, right? I mean, when he's talking to God, he conveniently leaves out Balak's message where it says, Balaam, you're the one in charge of blessing and cursing. He doesn't say that to God. <laughs> Um, and yet at the same time, he's able to talk to the Lord. And so you're like, what is up with that? Is he good or bad? Because that's exactly what he's doing. This is, this is, this is a portrait of a false prophet, and he's imitating Moses, only doing the exact opposite of what Moses has been doing. Do you remember what Moses has been doing? Israel fails, and Moses goes and says, I'm going to go speak to the Lord for you. I'm going to go pray for you and intercede for you. And God says, I'll relent. Here, you have Balaam going to speak to Yahweh, to speak to the Lord, to intercede against them, (laughs) to say, curse them, give them what they deserve. It's really interesting. All right, and then, you follow the, the character of this person when Balaam goes back to uh, talk to the Moabites. Right? Notice he doesn't tell them, hey, by the way, the Lord has sworn that I can't bl- curse them. No, he just says, ah, oh, I can't go with you, sorry. Right? So you, you're following the, the, the character, right? They're showing him both. He's really persuasive. He's this charismatic figure that's able to to interact with the living God, but yet at the same time, he's shady, he's deceitful, right? The Lord won't let me go, right? He's like a small child who's, he said, Dad, can I go play play with my friends? He says, sure, after you get your chores done and you do your homework, you clean your room, and so your kid goes out and says to the friend, ah, my dad just won't let me go, (laughs) right? Throw dad under the bus. Life would be great if dad wasn't such a, a stingy person. Well, the Moabites hear 
uh, Balaam's deceit, and because he doesn't say no, God said no, which is very clear, uh, it sounds like a negotiation tactic to Balak, and so he sends more leaders, more honor, more money. And that's when, again, you hear Balaam say, no, this is the Lord my God. Doesn't this sound like amazing faith here? Though the Lord, though Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Right? May every pastor say the same thing. Stay here to see what more the Lord will say to me. Right? He's really trying here. He, he's got a pot of gold just sitting there waiting for the taking. Right? And so, is he a hero or villain? And, and what makes it clear, obviously, is God has ticked off at him. Right? He tries to kill him. Um, but you look at verse 20. You follow the story down here. Uh, he goes and has this conversation, and the Lord says, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. Right, so here's, here's this false prophet, and he's, he's been given permission, or it sounds like permission, to go. But there's something here that's helpful, cause, right? Because I, I want to know, why in the world is God saying go and then trying to kill him in the next verse? And we want to give the, the Bible writers credit, right? They can read verse to verse, right? They, the one who composed this story deliberately put what sounds contradictory, so that you and I sit there and say, why in the world is God upset with him to draw us in? Right? And the key is, it, it's, it's the idea of being a prophet. If these men, these humans, have come to call you, you may go with them. And so it's a test. Right? Balaam, whose call, as God's prophet, sent to speak God's word, Whose call will you obey? These humans, if they come to call you, sure, you may go with them. Right? The implication is, God has called you, you're going to be a prophet, you've got to listen and obey. And so I found um, Pastor Duguid really helpful here. He was, he's really clear, nailing down. He, says, he just rephrases it and says, you know, this is like God is saying this. If the summons of these men and their money is so important to you, then you may go with them. Even so, if you go, know that you will only do what I tell you. Right? As the God who sees the heart, he knows what Balaam is after. He knows why he's going. He knows that he's willing to change God's word for some cash. God is angry. And he gave him the choice. Right? It's a test. If they call you, you may go. Of course, Balaam, it being greedy as he is, gets up. He doesn't tell them the Lord didn't change his mind. He just goes along for the ride. And so if you're a Moabite, having not heard that conversation, what you're assuming is Balaam has the complete freedom to do what he's paid for. Right? And just to, to make clear, right, I'm not making this stuff up. Second Peter, Peter meditates on this story when describing that, hey, by the way, in the church there are also false prophets, and, and the pattern of a false prophet is based on Balaam. Balaam, who loved, gaining, loved gain from wrongdoing. That's 
2 Peter 2.15. Right? Balaam's motivation is money. He's using these people. Right? And so just, just imagine, this is the character of a pastor. Right? Someone who's willing to try and manipulate the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, for some money by preying on someone else's fear. That's what's happening here. Right? Does that sound like someone you want in church? <laughs> that you want to uh, teach the Bible? To stand up and say, I am God's representative. That I don't really care about you, I just want whatever it is you have to offer me. Right? You can see why God's angry. Right? It, false prophets don't care about people, they only care about the payday. And the, the tricky part is they are phenomenal at using religious language and very beautiful words. Uh, they're persuasive. Right? They're great at orthodox theology and saying it out loud and really poor at orthopraxy, uh, right behavior, good character. And the words of Jesus, there are many men who would say, Lord, Lord. Um, but I'm going to say to them, I never knew you, knew you, so depart from me. So watch out for the trees that bear bad fruit. Right? So you can see, God is angry because he loves his people, and he hates people who claim to speak for him when he never gave them that authority to say anything different than he has said. Right. And so God is angry, and the angel of the Lord now stands in Balaam's way. Right? In arrogance, Balaam is pretending to be God's friend while acting as God's enemy, going against God's will. Motivated by greed. And so, let's pause here. A um, couple lessons on false prophets. It's really easy to pick on Balaam, isn't it? Just to throw shade. That's what the New Testament does. I mean, Peter does not hold back if you go and, re and read it. But it's really helpful to see Balaam as uh, a test case for integrity right? and faith. Because it's really easy for anyone to say, I know all the right words to say. I know... Scripture verses, I have them memorized. I can say the Lord my God out loud on Sunday. Right? We can go through the liturgy every week, as we do. Um, and do so in the presence, doing what others want us to hear us say. And it can sound like all of our decisions are holy and controlled by the love of God, and yet on the inside, our hearts can be ruled by something else, like greed, uh, like power, like comfort, like romance, where on the outside it says, yeah, I'm submitting to God's word, but on the inside, I'm using him to get whatever it is I really want. Right. It's haunting, isn't it? That that, that, that is a, a, a very real temptation to say out loud, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but without integrity, the rest of the week, live as if I'm, he doesn't exist, doing whatever I want. Right. You know it's a great picture of this in film history. Um, 
Michael Corleone from the movie The Godfather. There's a haunting scene from the movie The Godfather where he's being baptized. And, and the language, right? Everything in the background is he is planning the execution of five mob family heads, right? So that, that is all swirling in the background. But the music is the church organ. You got the Latin liturgy, singing God's name over and over again in Latin. Uh, he's being asked, do you believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth? And he says, yeah, I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? He says, yeah. Do you believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church? Absolutely. Do you renounce Satan? And he says, I do renounce him. And then it flashes to two murders that he planned. Right? Do you renounce all his works? I renounce them. And it flashes, of course, to the other murders. And then he's baptized and told to go in peace. Right? That's the path of Balaam. Uh, it's, it's a lack of integrity. We, of course, the common word we use all the time is hypocrites. Right? But it shows a heart divided where our hearts are very far from God, where God's words actually are calling us to be. Right? You know how Peter describes Balaam and people who imitate Balaam, his heart? He needed his madness restrained. That's what the donkey is doing for him. He isn't thinking clearly. He isn't in his right mind. Sin and greed has turned him into this irrational animal. Right? He's acting like a crazy person. Right? And so it's just a really help. This is, a, this is the warning of Balaam. This is part of why it's in the scriptures uh, to, to not just listen to, to words, but to look at character. We can't see the heart. Only God sees the heart. Right? But the trajectory of where Jesus is leading us is that we would confess with our mouth and then live out with our bodies as living sacrifices what it is we believe. That, that integrity is the goal, right? And we're a work in progress. You know what the difference between um, trying to be faithful and failing and being like Balaam? is Every week you show up and confess your sin and, and are genuinely broken up by the fact that, Lord, I have not lived up to your commands. Right? That's what, we, that's what we did this morning. It's really potent to say, your law is holy, your blessings, your benedictions are perfect. They're both too great for us. So we plead with you to give us the blessing of your righteousness because I need help. It's the difference between saying, uh, I am healthy and I am fine when you have a, a, a terrible disease that you're trying to hide from everyone versus, no, I'm terribly sick and you're willing to talk about it and seek help and go to the doctor and look for healing. Right? So you've got to beware of false prophets and their behavior because they're going to lead us astray. Um, and then second, it's really helpful to see too Look at how, why false prophets are so effective. Why is it, uh, why is it people turn on the TV and they'll see a televangelist saying, if you give me money, your life will be fantastic. <laughs> You'll no longer be sick, your bank account will be full, and you're still living in, in this tiny house that you can barely keep, and he's flying around on one of his three or four planes. Right? Why? Because they prey on fear. Right? I mean, you... 
Balak is obviously the enemy, but he's, he's, Moab is completely human. They see an army, they're terrified, and they're trying to save themselves. And Balaam is willing to take their money to prey on their fear. Right? That's why Jesus would say, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, what are they like? They're ravenous wolves. Um, right? It's madness. They're willing to use you simply because you're afraid of death rather than pointing you to the one who overcomes death, Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, seven times. Look at this. Seven, <laughs> look, at, look at Balak and how much time, money, and hope, and energy he pours into Balaam, hoping for a maybe. Right? This is, this is, false prophets work in maybes. They, they, don't, they don't work in certainties. Right, he pays the prophet. Three times he's going to kill seven animals for sacrifices, all trying to bribe God to change his mind. And, and what he says is, if you do this, Balaam, maybe God will curse them, and maybe our army will be strong enough to defeat them. Perhaps God will be pleased and do something for me. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? There's no certainty. Maybe I'll be blessed. Right. See, all of this is a call to say don't trust false prophets. Trust those who speak God's word uh, clearly and accurately and, and aren't ashamed of it and are actually being transformed by it themselves, which is a, ho- a high calling. Right? To recognize that not everyone who says Lord actually knows the living God. <laughs> That's Balaam. Now let's, let's listen to um, his critic, the donkey here. Right? We can learn from the donkey's wisdom here. God is angry. He's rightly angry. And so he needs to show Balaam his sovereignty, whose call matters, whose, whose voice Balaam should listen to. Um, and so Balaam is going to learn humility through the wisdom of a mule, a stubborn donkey. Because three times the angel of the Lord draws a sword ready to kill him, and three times he's miraculously saved by this donkey. And of course, by the, steaming, by the third time, Balaam is just ticked off and just beating the snot out of his poor donkey Ironically saying, if I had a sword, I would kill you. Right? Talk about blindness and lack of spiritual awareness. And, and you're supposed to laugh at this. Right? The Hebrews are having a good laugh at this person. Right? He is full of self-importance. He is self-proclaiming himself to have the power to bless and to curse. And he can't even control his donkey. Right? And look at the Moabites willing to give money to this man who can't control his own donkey. And the contrast, of course, is look at the living God who can take this dumb animal and give it words to speak to correct dumb behavior. <laughs> right? And we look at the passage. The Lord opens the mouth of the donkey and she says to Balaam, what have I done to you that you would strike me three times? And Balaam responds, of course, as if this is a completely normal conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us are like, wait, what's happening here? And he says, well, because you made a fool of me. So who's the fool? I wish I could kill you if I had a sword. 
And then, of course, uh, the Lord opens the eyes of Balaam and he actually sees spiritual reality and he gets confronted with the living God. Right? Talk about a spiritual insult. Uh, the donkey has better spiritual vision than the paid professional seer. Right? And so here's, here's the great part and here's why, here's why this is... This is telling a story, and it's trying to, to help us paint a picture of what's happening here, right? Baal, you know who the actual donkey is in the story? Who's going, whose job is to speak whatever it is the Lord tells him to say? It's Balaam, right? Once he finally sees the Lord in spiritual reality, and he's, he's now sent by God as this obedient fool, to go speak to Balak. How many times does he speak to Balak? Three times. Right? And three times, Balak is not going to get the message that the Lord is committed to bless Israel even though he wants them to, curse, to be cursed. Right? Robert Alter, the Hebrew nerd, right? he's a Jewish Bible scholar. He's really helpful. And he says, look, three times he gets to show stubborn Balak that it is not possible to change God's mind. And Balaam, the, the, whole, the butt of the joke is Balaam the donkey. Because <laughs> right? God in 23.9, Balaam says to Balak in 23.19, God is not man that he should lie, nor is he a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, will he not do it? Where he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. So what do you learn from Balaam's faithful steed here? Right? It's a spiritual insult, isn't it? To, to turn to Balaam to paint a picture where you are full of importance speaking for God, but if you say anything true, you're no different than a donkey that God has opened his mouth to be able to speak truth. Right? That, that was our reflection. Hearing God speak to us is no indication that we're unusually spiritual mature and important because God is able to communicate with whoever he chooses. That's the lesson of the donkey, which is really humbling if you're a pastor who is sent <laughs> to go speak exactly what the Lord has said, specifically in the person of his son. Right? Or maybe you could say it this way. God can choose to send you humbling criticism from anyone, even if they look and act like a stubborn ass, <laughs> right? The donkey, the mule, right? And so the question is, do you look at the, the person and say, oh, I'm not going to listen to them. They, they, they're, they're stupid. They're dumb. They're, God would never speak to, through someone like that. Or will you hear the criticism, repent, and believe the gospel, right? The question is always, are they right? <laughs> this is the humbling, humbling part of Balaam, especially for us as donkeys, right? Are they, are we speaking the truth? Right? I mean, every pastor is not that different from a donkey that has been shown spiritual reality and then says, here's what I have seen. And what I have seen is God is unrelented, unrelentingly committed to bless his people through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is our job, to speak no more, no less. Right? Even if in 
our character, we're flawed. Right? My job is to say, look at the cross. Look at God's love for fools like us. Right? It's not me up here with the power to bless and curse. It's, no, I'm a recipient of this blessing, and I get to tell others about it. Right? And so what I think is helpful is whenever you come across a pastor, any kind of spiritual leader, uh, they've gotten there because God has given them the ability to speak, but what it does is prevent us from putting pastors on perfection pedestals. Right? Because being good with communication does not equate to spiritual maturity. What, what, what a congregation needs is a pastor who believes the gospel. Right? He says, we too need this Christ to die for us. Right? I mean, that's, that's the job description, to go be a messenger of grace, to go be the donkey that speaks truth uh, to other sinners who, well, this is what God says about Israel eventually, right? Um, Isaiah 1.1, 1, 1, uh, the ox knows its master, the donkey knows its master's crib, where to get fine food. But Israel, my people, they just don't see, they don't understand. And I keep pursuing them, they keep getting hurt, and they just refuse to ask for help. They are no different than a stubborn donkey. And so God raises us, pastors up, uh, puts a bit in our mouth, so to speak, and says, here, go, speak to them. Preach the gospel. Right? Go, Show them the living God. Do you see his justice? Do you see that the Lord is opposed to people who ignore his commands? Right. Do you see that there's mercy in the Lord and that he's willing to forgive? Do you see and hear his commands? I mean, these are the questions we get to ask. Of course, will you listen? Right. And as you listen and experience the blessing and forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, are you willing to go out and be that fool yourself to go talk to to your neighbors about the blessing God has given, that they too can get in on it. All right? And so, how do you get to that point? And that's, that's how we're going to bring this to a close here. All right, see God's grace. All right, we all face the same danger. I'm trying to humanize these people because we're, we're all human. We're, we're sinners. Uh, that, God, that if you see any kind of spiritual reality, one of the, mes the messages here is if you see it, it's because God has opened your eyes. It's a gift of grace. But the danger is we too have divided hearts. And, and so what I want to know is what restrains our madness to love God for whom he is rather than for the benefits that he gives. Right? And what Israel is being shown and what we're being shown is look at God's settled, unchanging, never shifting determination to bless his people who are far from integrity, right? All because of his covenant promise, right? Because Israel isn't there. This is written after to tell them, look at, look at how God fulfilled his benediction. May the Lord bless and keep you. He is keeping you from the curse, right? Of course, Balaam never gets it. He becomes the fool that God uses three times to communicate that blessing. And as you, you follow the story, Balaam keeps trying regardless. Uh, Balak is, keeps telling him what to do. And so the first time he goes out ready to, up on a high mountain ready to see all of God's people and he said, all right, go curse Israel for me, Balaam. And, and that fails. He spits out 
a beautiful blessing. Right? Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Right? How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? He's simply not able to say anything else. And then Balak says, ah, well, maybe just curse part of them. Right? You, can't, you can't get them all. Maybe just pick off the few of the weak. Um, and that doesn't work. Right? And then he, that's, this is 23.19 when, that we read earlier, that God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he not spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless and I cannot revoke it. The Lord their God is with them and the shout of a king is among them. The Lord brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of a wild ox, right? these massive horns of the aurochs that could gore a lion. They could go to battle with, with a lion. And then it, then it keeps going and says, Israel is like a lioness. As a lion lifts itself up, it does not lie down till it's devoured its prey. And of course, this, at this point, Balak is like, please just stop talking. <laughs> he literally says, do not curse and do not bless. Just stop. And then he goes, wait, why don't we try at a different spot? <laughs> right? And that doesn't work either. And that's when we get the beautiful uh, promise of a future king that God will use to bless Israel and us. Right? This is 24.15. It says, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, which we know is a gift of grace. This is the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but he's not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Do you know what God shows? Greedy, duplicitous Balaam, and ultimately Israel and us. He gives them a portrait of there is a king coming. Right? Not yet, but someday in the future. That's what it means about the scepter as a king. Uh, he's a star. He's going to be a light in the darkness. It's going to be like the sunrise. And he's going to go and defeat Israel's enemies. God's going to continue to keep Israel through this future mysterious king, which we know who is the star of Jacob. Right? It's Jesus. That's what Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am the bright morning star. And thank God Jesus is unlike Balaam. Right? Jesus, the prophet who was so committed to blessing God's people, to love us stubborn fools, uh, that he, he was willing not to do it for money, but at, at the cost of everything, to himself. And it was his choice. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, I am, he's not that different than the donkey. He said, I will only speak what God tells me to speak. Because right? what does Jesus say in John chapter 12? Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in the one who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge, but to save the world. But the one who rejects me 
and does not receive my words, he has a judge. This is my word. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Right? See, it's a call to come to Jesus. And here's what Jesus says about his speaking. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, telling me what to say and telling me what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. Jesus is the perfect prophet who's in this for God's people because he said, right, I didn't come to judge. I came to save you. And so the word you have to listen is the word that I speak to you, which is come and believe. Right? And so when you look at Jesus, the better, so much better than Balaam, who blesses us, even to death on a cross, who's willing to be cursed so that we might be blessed in him. Right? That's what restrains our madness. That's what starts to heal our divided hearts. That's what gets us to say, perhaps God's word is good. Scratch that. We don't say perhaps. We say, now I know <laughs> the Lord is good and his word can be trusted because look at how Jesus, the bright morning star, has sworn to protect and keep you even when you were not there, while you were yet an enemy. And he fulfills that promise of crushing evil, but it looks foolish to everyone because he was crushing evil by being crushed by it. Right? Everybody looked at the cross and said, what a, what a dumb idea, what a waste, what a fool. Right? They looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and said, if God is really for him, he wouldn't be hanging from the tree because everyone who hangs from a tree is cursed. Right? If you're the son of God, come down. Show, show us how great you are. They mocked him while he was taking the curse for us so that we can turn around and say, as Christians who've received that gift, what though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done? I know them well and thousands more, but my God, he knoweth none. Isn't that amazing? See, when we find ourselves defended from the curse, the curse that really matters, the curse of the living God whose word is true, um, while we were still opposed. And what happens for us as Christians is, like Israel, we read about these events years later and we look back and say, wow, look at how the Lord was guarding and keeping me. Look at how he was being gracious to me and look at his willingness to give me peace. Look at how he didn't ask me for money Look how he gave himself to me. Right? He is the bright morning star who gives us that gift through that morning of the resurrection. It's a new day. And when I see the Lord defending me like that, blessing me while I'm a fool, protecting me from the sword of judgment by taking that sword for me, you know, I'm willing to stand up and say, yeah, I'm a fool that the Lord has chosen to proclaim the good news of his grace to my neighbors, to all who are willing to listen. And even if I sound foolish, all I can do is just say what Jesus told me to say. So the question this morning is, are you willing to take that risk, having received that blessing? Um, we're never going to say it just right. right. To go out, I know, in, in a secular culture, 
right? We, we heard it in Ted Turno's uh, email list, right? He said the, the Czech people aren't interested in spirituality. They're interested in good beer, a good life. They're, they're interested in fun and sex and entertainment, right? And so when you start talking about Jesus and you being created and there being spiritual reality, they go, I don't, I don't, I don't care. You're weird. But if you receive that blessing by faith, you're very, what, what the gospel does is give you the courage to say, I'm willing to look like a fool because Jesus became, because, because of the cross, because of the wisdom of the cross. Right? It's, it's foolishness to the world, but the foolishness of the world is God's wisdom. And he, for us, became wisdom, righteousness, and holiness on our behalf. That's someone worth talking about. And it was foretold by the chief donkey himself, Balaam. Right? Evidence that what God says is true and will happen. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this great story, and I pray that as we meditate on it, um, you would not only rebuke us where, and correct us where we need to be corrected, but you would also comfort us that we would see that you really have blessed us, you really do guard and keep us, that the maker of heaven and earth is our help and he has sworn by the death of his son to never leave us alone. So that may, may that lift up our heads and open our mouths because you have opened our eyes to see the one who loved us. So show us Jesus and may we leave here rejoicing at the gift. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's